In this episode, we're answering more of your questions. Many of you face similar challenges, so keep listening and you're sure to get some useful tips. Welcome to Your First Home Buyer Guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us, we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists that you can download, a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy a workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today we're talking about your first home buyer challenges, tackling some of the questions that you listeners have sent in to us. Far There's before a lot. <laughs> we're having a look at Megan's video. Update of Reno. The Reno, my God. So those, been- yeah, look, it's coming along. Um, for those of you who regularly watch, every now and then I do an update on my Reno. So this demolition started in, in last week of September and here we are now. This is progress as at the first week of February. So... A little bit more done yesterday. We're at the rough-in stage. So uh, framing is all up, internal and uh, external. And we've got rough-in of uh, plumbing has been done and electrical. So if you haven't been through a reno process, that's when they put all the stuff within the walls and the framing before the cladding goes on. So everything's hidden within the walls. Um, A lot of decisions have to be made at that point. Where are, are light switches go to be? Are they pendants? Are they down lights? All of those things have to be done even though they don't actually get fitted off until right at the end. So Damn. lots of decisions to make along the way and to get right because they're hard to change if you don't get them right at this point in time. So do, are you making them on the fly or, or did you have, have you got an electrical drawing? I have a full set of electrical plans uh, which have only been tweaked slightly as we move along because I think the thing about as and particularly after you've done a couple of renovations, you, you get a feel, you, you sort of know what things are going to look like and, and I can look at a floor plan and, have a fairly good idea about what spaces are going to feel like and, and and airflow and natural light and so forth. But when you actually get into the spaces, sometimes you realise, okay, I, I thought that was going to work there, but actually it needs to be just over here. Or no. here's an opportunity for a niche or a, a slightly different way of doing something that will actually improve it. Um, so the, the architect and I work on site quite a bit walking through and going, all right, we're happy with all of these spaces or do we want to tweak them a little bit? And we can do that on the fly. Lovely. A lot and of plans also, in place, but then there's those little tweaky sort of things that we can do on the fly. Just in case there's a bit of solution. Yeah, absolutely. And there's always the <laughs> always way, I mean, I just think about a, t- a couple of little things that I now wish I'd tweaked. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, 
you got to be careful not to change too much because variations yes. are costly. It absolutely. So. It adds up. But, you know, sometimes yeah. the variation works in your favour and then you can offset against uh, something that has come at you. So a variation is uh, in a fixed-term contract. That's where you go, I'd like to do this. And the builder says, all right, well, that's going to cost less money. doesn't usually happen that way. Or it's going <laughs> to cost more money and therefore they you sign off a variation to agree to the increasing price for that amount of money. Exactly oh, look right. at your puppy in the background, Veronica, oh, for those no. that are watching. I've gone from being a cat person to being a dog person and she's been to sex, so she's got the cone around her neck. She's got her back trying to scratch out it's it. It's hilarious. She's the funniest little thing. And I do not understand Gorgeous. why people call it the cone of shame. I say she's been to sex. Why is that shameful? But anyway, for a dog, <laughs> I don't know. I she's not what... getting through the dog door with that thing on. <laughs> no. And that's, yeah, I can't go out because the car, she can't get outside. Um. So, actually, your story, just we're talking about variations and renovations. It sort of leads into our first question, which yeah. I've just literally shuffled the order around on the back of that. But our first question is from Miriam, who's one of our students. And she says, where can we go to work out what it will cost to do renovations? For example, adding a second story to a house, ballpark cost and time to do. Similarly for insulating, draft proofing and adding eaves to a home. And given that she's in Victoria, she has to worry about things like draft proofing that you probably yeah. don't have to worry so much about it. Um, so we want to keep it, the heat out. Yeah. <laughs> so let's have a quick chat um, about, you know, how it's a really do good you question because work it out? Yeah, we, we talk in the course quite a lot in, in your first home buyer guide about looking at the bones of a property, not just being attracted to the cosmetics of it. So if you are looking at a, a property that has good bones but has the ability to be extended or improved or changing floor plans or, or, or something, you really need to know, ha have a bit of an idea or be able to estimate what that might cost. Wow. And, of course, estimation isn't set in stone and prices are changing so regularly at the moment. Yeah. You've got to be really, really careful. Um, and give yourself quite a bit of wiggle room in your in estimations. But you may be adding a second story to a house. Um, you've got to think not only about the ballpark cost, but how long it will take. Yeah. And do you have to move out? Can you do it while you're in there? Um, are you going to have to pay an extra rent? You know, I made the choice to yeah. move out because I wanted to give them free reign of the site. Um, how could you have lived in the house that you just jacked up? I've done it do before. People do, do people actually live in a house children, while it's been... No, my <laughs> God. You come home one day and you had to climb up a ladder to get into your bedroom. I actually, the very first house that I did, we've talked about my first house, lots and lots of mistakes mm, in that first I was house. falling off the stumps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, uh, I, I got a German Shepherd dog. Why I got a German Shepherd dog while I was renovating a house is just beyond me. Anyway, I was young. Um, <laughs> I thought I could do everything, you know, 10 foot tall and bulletproof, but, uh, we had to carry the, the, the German Shepherd puppy up and down the ladder until oh. the staircase was built. And that was a number of months because at that point I was literally saving for each element of, you know, everything happened. I had to save up, you know, and, and, and I was in a commission based position then. So that was a bit lumpy. My income was quite lumpy. And um and and so this dog was being carried up the ladder, and as it grew, you know, German shepherds grow really quickly. Yeah. It was fine when it was little, but gee, wow, when it got bigger, it was hard to get up those. I had to I had to earn very quickly to get the staircase done. That is nuts. So, <laughs> and this is a, an interesting thing because you often get, you know, you hear these figures. Oh, you know, renovation costs 
2,000 yeah. a square meter or 8,000 yeah. a square meter or, or whatever. Upstairs yeah. is more expensive than downstairs. The problem is with those sort of ballpark figures is that a kitchen is going to be a hell of a lot more dollars per square meter than a bedroom, you know, and so therefore uh, that can be very misleading if people yeah. think, oh, I'm just going to add 10 square meters and it's like, yeah, but in that 10 square meters you're putting a kitchen, a bathroom and a laundry, it's going to be And they're so your big ticket items. Very much so. Yeah. Whereas if you're just adding a rumpus room, it's a lot cheaper. So I always think that, and certainly we do this with our clients when we're looking, we do two things. We look to talk to an architect who understands that local area. Because when I say the local area, the council is uh, your governing authority when it comes to getting building works approved. And you've got to have a good sense of, well, what is likely to be approved. So you might think you want to turn this place to the Taj Mahal and it's completely unrealistic. You've got no hope in hell of getting that done. Um, (laughs) Or, you know, so there's... So you can you can cost you can cost that if you want to, but like you know you could buy that property and then try to lodge lodge an application and realise you're never going to get it. So so you've got to have this sort of you've a got real a great example of that, Veronica. And I know we've told the the listeners <laughs> this story before, but in one of your renovations, you had an expectation that you could do certain things, and you actually couldn't. Well, actually, even um, maybe the story you're thinking about is the house that I live in now. I bought it from this couple of guys that bought it a year earlier. I had been in the same family for 50 years. They bought it and went, yay, we're going to knock it down and we're going to subdivide and we're going to build two townhouses. It's in a conservation zone, kids. Like they that, didn't like, do the most blows my basic, mind. That basic is a basic, due diligence. basic it's part of due diligence. However, if they'd done your first home buyer guide, they would the, not have made that mistake. Exactly right. Hello, we you will not make this basic mistake. There are lots of other basic mistakes that you will use too if you if you, you do too or make two <laughs> if you don't do the, the course. But this is one of the 101. And they went, oh, we can't get what, you know, we'll, they were going to become developers. We can't knock down this old house in this no. heritage area. So, you know, it's like, yeah, good on you. I mean, <laughs> physically, potentially, they had plans drawn up. They spent money on architects. Clearly, nobody How did the architects not ask the question? Well, perhaps they didn't have an architect who was local enough and cared enough and understood enough the implications of these these areas and these heritage areas. You know, like, I mean, maybe the architect was just as silly as them. So no, it was a mate. Maybe they were just mate, having, playing around and not actually doing any due diligence. Just nuts. It, it's sort of silly. And it's it's this arrogance as well to think, well, because I want to do it, I should be allowed to. It doesn't actually work <laughs> that way. So therefore, step one is to go and talk to someone and you might just spend a bit of money. You might spend a few hundred dollars to get a yeah. consultation to say, look, this is what I want to do. Do you see any, um, any obvious hurdles? So that's sort of step one. And I did that with my house. You know, I did get... Um, my architect through and I said, you know, this is what I want to create. What do you see as the problems and the mm. issues? And, and he raised a few things. And so I bought it with my eyes wide open. Yeah. I didn't get a double garage and I didn't get a pool. But, you know, that would have been ridiculous. I would have had to put the pool in the roof anyway. Um, <laughs> How often actually, really would you use I'll, a pool in I Sydney? wish I'd thought of that. a cold actually. shower. <laughs> I didn't actually think of that. But anyway. Um, so, Actually, so I saw a blow-up spa at, um, at a condo the other day. There you go. Cool. There's your solution. I'll squeeze <laughs> that in somewhere. So, so the point being, though, you, you've got to be realistic about what you're thinking you want to do. Is that achievable? And then you need the architect isn't necessarily the person to help you with costs. You yeah. know, Then you need to talk to a builder 
who builds locally, who um, who is more familiar with the costs. Uh, and so then and you they're can the one that's actually going to price it. Well, absolutely. But yeah. bearing in mind that your taste could be, you know, you might want uh, granite bench tops or whatever and you can only afford laminate. So you sort of need to be thinking there's a lot, a real string of continuum, I guess, of um, costs for a lot of these, uh, you know, for a lot of the fixtures and, and finishes mm. in a property. You can uh, pay $6,000 for a chandelier or go to Bunnings and, and get it for forty. You can buy tiles for, I don't know, Twenty dollars a square meter. Yeah, or you can go hundreds and hundreds of dollars a square there's meter. A, <laughs> there's a beautiful tile that I really love, and and um, I couldn't source it, and I went to a friend who's an interior designer, and I said, "You've seen these tiles before?" And she said, "Just leave it with me." She came back with six hundred and eighty dollars a square meter tiles that I really like the look of. They're not part of my renovation. No, and <laughs> you know. In a different life, I did have one bathroom with these beautiful hand-cut Moroccan tiles. And, yeah, it's beautiful, but this time around I didn't go that crazy. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah, you've got, to, you've got to have an understanding of where budgets can very much stretch and where the expensive parts in a house are and what sort of things you need to do. So they're the two, there's two steps that I recommend, really. Step one is to get a local architect. And you might not need an architect. Yeah. It's just that you need expert advice at this point of time. And so that's really where you need to go. And then obviously costing, the builders are the ones that buy and source the materials. They're the ones that got estimators on their teams. Then, you know, they can't cost it properly without a proper set of plans. Yes. And so yep. it's always going to be ballpark. It's always going to be an estimate and always subject to change because, of course, you get situations with supply shortages or, um, you know, and and. and Price will come down if all of a sudden nobody's building and builders need work. There's so, availability. You know, supply yeah. and demand. Yeah. So it's a very inexact science, but they're the two things that I would say really important that anyone um, who's going to renovate should do. Yep. So one, work out if you can do it or not as part of your due diligence. There's no use going and buying that property if you can't do anything or can't do what you want to do. And, and two, as you say, um, source that information from the right people you will get probably off the bat, you will get a square meter rate. They will give you a square meter rate because that's the easiest thing for them to do. You need to delve a little bit deeper. Yeah. Right. Our next question is from Royden. It says, I'm currently looking at purchasing a house in Northwest Sydney, currently looking at the CMA. So that's a, um, what's that short for again? Comparative it's, market analysis. Thank you very much. It's something that you basically plug into RP We look at every like day, that. Veronica. And, and do just, look at them. And just I just popped out of my head in that moment. <laughs> he's looking at comparative sales, basically. He's he's uh, comparing the subject property with the recent six months of sales data. I think he must have downloaded our free mini course that teaches you how to do this. Um, and well done. And he's saying that since the property needs renovation, while the sold ones are mostly, he said, almost 80% are renovated, right? So the ones he's looking Good at buying are renovated, Good. trying to compare it with renovated properties. Can't land on the value of the property, hence need to determine his maximum bid prior to auction. He says, I've done all the remaining due diligence. Um, now, he has not done your first home buyer guide, and I can tell you why he hasn't done it, because he thinks this is enough. Conveyancing, building a pest and pre-approval. So I went back to him and said, Royden, that is the tip of the iceberg. You need to do a hell of a lot more due diligence than that. 
But unfortunately, I've got crickets. Hopefully, you're listening to this, Royden. Hopefully, you're going to pay attention to what I'm telling you here. You need to do more due diligence than those three things. But the question really is around the pricing. Um, can we please suggest how we should go about it? So bear in mind, he's doing his recent sales analysis, which is really great. Good he's work. comparing them against the properties looking at buying, but he's realizing that most of those are renovated, whereas the one he's looking at is unrenovated. What should he be doing, Megan? Well, as you say, if he's done the uh, free mini course, he will have a framework to work with. What, what's hard though, and this is where experience does matter and, and length and depth and breadth of understanding of the market does matter. Because when you're doing a comparison between a subject property and the comparable sales, you're looking at a number of ele elements. You're looking at the superior and inferior aspects of the land, the location, the property that sits or the improvements that sit on the land. You're looking at um, the uh, level of finishes uh, that are within the property. And then there's you know, really more um, minor aspects, if you like, like orientation and airflow, layout of, of the property internally, functionality, rooms, room sizes. So there's a lot more that goes into is it renovated or not renovated. Because you, you might actually assign um, or there might be a higher value assigned to a property that's unrenovated but has fantastic flow, great elevation now, and a pleasant outlook versus a really well-renovated finished property that is perhaps lower in the street, doesn't get that natural airflow or faces, um, you know, your entertaining area is overlooked by large blocks of units. So just actually saying renovated or unrenovated isn't enough. You, you, mm. you actually have to dig in further and make those comparisons on a number of other factors. And, and if you can get to that level of detail, then whether it's renovated or unrenovated, you might look at something and say, I know why that renovated property sold for less than that unrenovated property over there. And it's yep. all of these factors. And when I compare those two and and, and put them in comparison with the subject property, the property you're looking at purchasing at the auction, you can then start to say, oh, this is actually a better position than that one. It's not as well finished, but I can I can make some pros and cons assessment on price using that information when you have that sort of more granular level understanding of the differences. It's such a good point. And also with unrenovated properties, depending on the condition of the market, if it's a really hot market, unrenovated properties sell for a lot closer in price for an equivalent yeah. renovated property yeah. than they do in a slow market. And certainly, uh, when property, when renovate or cost of renovation started really blowing out and the market started slowing down back in 2022, you did see that gap forming between renovated and unrenovated. But yes. then in 2021, that gap would have been shrinking because people. Buyers think, I got it. The only way to get into the market is to buy unrenovated. And so but, then there's more competition for those properties that pushes prices up. So so therefore just, and and the temptation will be go, okay, well, it would have cost, you know, $300,000 to renovate. So therefore I'm just going to knock $300,000 off the price and that must be what it's <laughs> it worth. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> it, 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 it's, in, it's part of the exercise to think like that. But yes, you've got to bring in all of those other factors that Megan's talked about, plus thinking what's the market doing. And then that'll give you a better... Um, a better idea of the difference. And the other thing too to bear in mind, 
is that what we teach you in the free course, so it's a mini free mini course on how to price a property. If you have not downloaded that, I'm seriously, it doesn't cost you anything. Download the bloody thing. <laughs> um, we'll teach you in that what to do. But fundamentally what you're doing is ranking all these properties. And yeah. so you, when you start sort of lining them all up, you can really see where the one you're looking at fits into the whole equation. Absolutely. And that does help you. Yeah, really does. Yep. We call it the price ceiling and the price floor. So we're yeah. searching for the most closest comparison that is slightly better mm. and the most close comparison that is slightly worse or yep. inferior. And that's where your price band comes in. Somewhere now, in there. The, the, the complexity on top of that is indexation, um, which which is is a, an art in, a, in and of itself. And that is to understand the market conditions. Yeah. So how old? Six months worth of, you know, data that's six months old, probably a little bit old. But if you haven't got enough data that's two to three months old, um, or you're not getting the information off the agents of things that have gone unconditional or settled within the last couple of weeks, um, then indexation needs to be used so that you're not working on data that's too old in a changing market. And what that means is that you have to sort of adjust older sale prices for whatever the market's been doing. So if the market's been rising, you might have to adjust it by a few percentage points up. And if it's been falling, you might have to adjust it by a few percentage points down. So this is where market knowledge and knowing what's going on at the time is really important. All right. Well, All we're right, hoping so that helps. And we look, the link is in the show notes for the free course. So if yeah. you have not downloaded, I mean, seriously, I think Let's you're nuts it. if you're trying to buy without doing the course anyway, because honestly, there are so many pitfalls and we had it save you from all this stuff it's so <laughs> obvious to us and you guys are uh if you're doing it without any knowledge you've got no idea the mistakes you don't that you're know making. what you don't know so that's, but the that's interesting free thing. so bloody yep. download it all right let's look at anthea's question so her question is you mentioned it in your most recent podcast episode now she would be referring to the uncle from the usa the uncle from the usa um, that for people in my age group, it's definitely not too late to art, uh, uh, to start. So she's she's perhaps a little bit older than the typical first home buyer, uh, but that we need to use a different strategy in getting into the property market, perhaps building an investment portfolio, etc. I'd love to know more about what that strategy should be. I think everything is still ahead of me in some ways. I could repartner. My career is on an upwards tra- trajectory, and my son is becoming more independent. I really wish my situation had been different when I was younger and I could have done this two decades ago, but I really want to make the most of the rest of the time I have. Good on you. I think this is my greatest challenge that I'm facing, but also my greatest opportunity. It's excellent. It's never and too it late. It is an opportunity and it yeah. is not too late as long as you've got the income to support a mortgage, basically. Absolutely. And the bank will view you differently depending on your age, particularly if you're over 50. They're, they're going to look at you in terms of your working life uh, differently to if you're under 50. One of the things I would all, very, well, very true. One, so one of the things that I would always very much encourage anybody to think about doing when they're buying the first property, and, and I'm looking beneath the question here with Anthea, I'm guessing that maybe she might have been partnered before and mm-hmm. separated and now they don't have a family home anymore. I'm guessing that might be the case. Now it's like, well, I need to build something for myself and obviously yeah. for her son. Um, and so the very first property you buy when you're coming from a point of not owning, so it might be that you used to own a property and now you don't, or it might be that you are buying your first property. Either way, you can't build an investment portfolio if your first property is crap. You will stop 
at whatever it is you buy and it will probably be the first and last property that you buy because you need to buy an A-grade property um, in order for it to grow in value so that you've got something to build a portfolio on. So that's the first thing. So then you go, right, what do I want? What can I afford a really good property that I could live in? And if I can't live in it now, could I live in it after my son, you know, moves out yeah. at some point? So these are sorts of things that you need to be thinking through. And and I wouldn't be thinking about buy, building a portfolio at less necessarily a later stage in life because you've got a shorter runway. So you've really yeah, got to focus yeah. on this next property or this property as being the best one that you can possibly get. So if that means that you could live in it now and that sort of serves all those purposes, fantastic. But if it's really quite obvious that you can't afford a great property or any property, even perhaps where you are living and where your established networks are and where your son might go to school or whatever, then then that's when you start looking down the investment path. Rent vesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And we do have an investor workshop, like to, to learn about the principles of investment because you do need to choose if you are going to rent vest. You don't have to buy where you're living. Yeah. You know, you can you buy anywhere. You don't have to like where you buy. No. As long as you buy a good asset. It has to be right for the area. Don't don't overlay your feelings about what you would like and, and, and wanting to have a tenant like you. you. You're probably not going to be able to afford um, that kind of level of property. But I just want to go back to one part here, and that is building the investment portfolio. And you made a really important point, Veronica, that I think we need to tease out a little bit more. And that is there's a temptation if you have a pool of money, a deposit, there's a temptation to say, I'm better off building a portfolio or having a number of properties with this limited pool of funds that I've got. I've got to get the highest number of properties that I possibly can and I think the thing that you really um, you know, spoke about there was making sure it's A grade. Don't split your funds across a number of properties because you want to have a portfolio because it sounds great or you think that that's going to achieve a better purpose. If that leads you to having to buy B, C or D grade, don't touch, as D, don't touch properties mm. um, because you want a higher number of properties. Now, if that works in a greater financial plan, great. But don't be tempted to just buy more properties or buy a number of properties if you have to sacrifice the quality of the asset because you will not go in the direction that you need to go if you're not getting the capital growth out of that asset or those yeah. assets. And so maybe better off looking at just one good quality at you know in the best location with the best features the price that you can afford. Don't push yourself beyond your financial means, but you may actually be better off looking at one versus many. Oh, 100%. There is, it's a false belief and it's perpetuated by a lot of people in the property investment space mm. that quantity strategy is the way to go. Yeah. But nearly everybody I know that has followed the quantity strategy has, after a good 10 years, had to face facts that they've owned a bunch of dud assets that haven't done what was promised to them at yeah. the beginning. And what you don't have is time. Yes. You don't have the time available to learn that mistake the hard way. So we're here to try to prevent that. Um, and we, that is all that we do, try to be... <laughs> Saving even, you from yourself. Even though you may not be old enough to be our daughter. I mean, hang on, even though <laughs> we enough. may not be old enough to be your mum. 
<laughs> just think of us as your mom, as your property mobs. Um, you know, it's we just want to protect people from making these mistakes that are very yeah. compelling. A lot of these these arguments. Oh, I know. Oh, I have to build and I have to, I have to get lots as soon as you know as soon as possible. It's very compelling and is sold as a real. It, yeah. It's but it's false logic and it's false hope. So particularly focus, if it does not work for you. Yep. Focus yep. on that. Not best possible asset you can buy. If you can live in it, all the better. Because let's face it, there are tax advantages in living in your own home that there aren't in uh, investing if you're paying rent elsewhere. You know, like so, because one day you got to sell that, you're going to have to pay some tax on the sale price. Whereas if you live in that home, you don't have to do that. So, um, you know, getting some offset of income tax along the way, in my view, is um, very rarely a better scenario if you have the option, if you have the choice. It's, it, it, you know, buying a home to live in yeah. gives you a lot more flexibility in the long run. Yeah. All right. Next question from Amy. It's certainly a short one and we've got a very good answer for it, which is my challenge at the moment is where should I buy? Then closely followed with what should I buy buying? Uh, Go, Megan. We don't answer that question, Amy. No, but we know how <laughs> you can answer that question. Nobody should answer that question. The only person who can answer that question is you. But there is a process that you can go through to understand where you are, who you are, what you need, and therefore what you should buy and where you should buy it. It's a process, not an answer. So don't put this on Reddit. Don't put it out there to property forums on Facebook because you'll get other people's biases about what they've done. They're looking for confirmation of what they've done if they've bought something. Um, And if they haven't, then they sure should not be giving you advice on where to buy and what to buy. So, So please don't ask the herd what you should be doing. Go through the process. And we have a where to buy tutorial, $39.00. Very good investment in yourself. And it is about self-reflection. It asks you to go through a process of self-awareness and self-understanding. Sounds sounds a bit, you know, um, out there, very, but it's not. It it's is about very you. pragmatic. It is a very structured process to take you through questions about yourself and a process of looking at the market, what you need and how can you match what you need and want to what the market provides. You can't change the market. Doesn't matter what yep. who you are, you can have influence on it if you feel it low and, and you're raising interest rates, but you actually can't change the market as an individual buyer. So don't fight it. It is what it is. But yep. you can go through a process of saying, well, what 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 do I need? Where do I think I need it? And what can the market provide? And and what you think you should buy may actually be completely different to what your options actually are. You know, if you're shooting too high, if you're looking for a, a blue chip suburb and you've got a, a budget, everybody has a limited budget. Doesn't matter if it's five hundred thousand or five million. Everybody has a limited budget. Believe me, there's very few people who can just <laughs> open the checkbook and buy. I know I've got clients that have got twelve million dollars and they still yeah, but can't got quite 12, get what they want. Not twenty. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's right. a limited budget. They twenty, there. we'd have no problems. <laughs> <laughs> then there might not be enough property to buy. So it's always an issue, isn't there? It's always a problem. <laughs> so take yourself through the process. Stop asking everybody else. Gather information along the way by asking people about different suburbs and about different property types and, and and getting that, but then put it into the process. And then you will have an answer that is unique to you, your circumstances and the current market. Mm. And I'd say too, with that tutorial, I mean, come on, 39 bucks, just buy it. Um, with that tutorial, 
you know, you can reuse it. And so we've had we've had students actually come through the post, come through the course, and what they've learned, and they've realised that oh, I actually was chasing the wrong type of property, yes. the wrong area in the first place. Sat down with with new knowledge, redone the where to buy process, came up with a really clear, real clarity around the possibilities for their search. You know where it is that they can get what they want for their budget. Yeah. And understanding the compromises that they will make because everyone makes compromises, but you know the answer to what you should and shouldn't compromise on is unique to you. And this is a process that you will get clarity around that rather than you know listening to all those opinions as Meekin was saying earlier. Absolutely. On to our last question from Jacob. He is in the preparation stage. Now you will know by now that there are four stages. The pace system. Preparation is the first one. It, it is the starting point. Well done, Jacob. Start at Excellent. number one. <laughs> I'm a bit unsure of who, what I need on my team. So he's in the building his team um, step of phase one. Step one. Do, do I need a buyer's agent? Do I need a mortgage broker? Do I need a strata report? Do I need a pest inspection? Not sure exactly what is the best mix to start with. Awesome question. It's great a great question. question. Yep. So... I'm going to hit it with step one. So we have a 10-step process we teach you in your first home buyer guide. Pace is based around those four phases, the pace. It's the preparation, action, commitment, execution. Step one is your support crew. So absolutely, you might, you definitely need a mortgage broker, we do <laughs> believe. There are other people in your support crew that you need as well. You need to be thinking, who are you going to use to do a building inspection or to do your strata report when it comes to that point. But you don't need a strata report now because you don't have a property now. You don't have a property. (laughs) But what you do need is to know where you're going to go to get the information when you need the information. So it's just setting yourself up for success by knowing where am I going to go when I need to. So And what is it going to cost? Because your your cost analysis is a really important part of the process. So you want to know who you're going to go to and what are they going to cost? And so, yes, a broker, uh, you know, you're going to need a lawyer or a conveyancer. Potentially, you might need an accountant. There's, there's a number of other um, advisors that you may or may not need but based on your scenario, but definitely a broker and a conveyancer or a solicitor. Do you need a buyer's agent? Well, not everyone can afford a buyer's agent. So, um, of course, if you can and if you can afford a good one, because you've got to make sure you're getting someone with that local experience who actually is going to add value to the process. And I can tell you right now, unfortunately, there's a very low barrier to entry to becoming a buyer's yeah. agent in this country. So you do need to learn how to choose a good one. We've, I think we've got some episodes on that, don't we? We do. Um, but also, a lot of people have actually done the full program that we offer, your first home buyer guide, and in the end decided to use the buyer's agent because I tell you what, you don't want to know more than the buyer's agent that you hire, right? And so if you've done that program, you will choose a better buyer's agent because Absolutely. I'm telling you right now, some people have, having done our course will know more than their buyer's agent. Um, or and they've a, chosen the wrong buyer's agent. <laughs> yeah, yes. but it also if you won't do you, that. <laughs> it, it arms you with the right questions to ask the buyer's agent, not only in the process of choosing the buyer's agent, but when properties are presented to you, you can ask better questions and have a lot more rigour around the assessment of the individual properties if you know what you're asking and why you're asking those questions. Um, so 
working with a good buyer's agent is is good, but actually yourself being armed with the information because knowledge is power. And and if you're bringing that, you you don't want to be more powerful than your buyer's agent. It's not a it's not a power struggle. No, it's it's an it's it's a conversation of equals when you have knowledge and you're dealing with someone who also has knowledge, but a greater depth of experience in applying that knowledge. That's the thing. They'll have they'll have mastery because they do this day in day out. You will have enough knowledge to help you make better decisions and also help you choose a better buyer's agent. So if somebody, if you've done this program, because quite a number of our students have used a buyer's agent in the end, yeah. and then they're like, wow, I, I can tell which ones know who, what they're talking about, yeah. which ones don't. That's that's a massive investment because the amount of people we see buying properties through those buyer's agents that don't have this experience and don't have this knowledge is, right, is actually scary. Okay, yeah. so... Yeah. um. With the do I need a strata report, do I need a pest inspection? And if you put that into the PACE system in terms of the program, learning it how to do everything at the right time, so the steps in order, I'm just looking at my list here, we're up to step seven. That's in evaluate. That's when you're going to need to engage those people to give you that information. And there's a whole bunch of other stuff, as I mentioned earlier, the due diligence extends beyond your building and pest inspection um, <laughs> contract <laughs> review and, yeah. and pre-approval. So there's a lot to know and you just want to make sure that you're not inadvertently buying a lemon that's really avoidable. These yeah. things are avoidable, yep. very avoidable. We just got to know what to look for. Yeah. So, so to Jacob's question... Yes, you're going to need these people, but you're not going to probably engage with them or engage them until later in the process, with the exception of the mortgage broker, because of course, part of the preparation phase is money and you need to know what you can borrow, you know, how much, what are the options, um, what's the best structure for you, what, what you know, all those sorts of things. You want to have that conversation and be really sure about your pathway forward that mortgage broker is someone you engage with early in the process. The others probably further down the track, but having them there and knowing what they cost so that you can put that into your spreadsheet for your costs. When you're looking at your maximum price for a property, not only then are you looking at what is the property worth, you're actually looking at can you afford it, including all of the costs that you have to outlay. You can't forget that. 100%. And the thing too is is sometimes you need to move very quickly when you find the right property. So having all this sort of lined up and knowing exactly what you need to do next, that can speed things up and give you an opportunity to really get ahead of some of your competition at times and avoid you missing steps, critical steps, um, or missing out on the property because you don't know what to do and you don't know how to do it and you don't know where to go to get the information. So it's great that you're reaching out and asking and getting prepared. Well done. Love it. All right. Well, there's some questions. We get a lot of questions from um, students and listeners and we like to share them because there is often some commonality in what someone else is experiencing or and, and, and what, where you're up to, or it may be that these questions actually just sit in the back of your mind when you come across a situation and, and you think, oh, that's right. I remember somebody else has been through this. I'll go back to that episode and just refresh myself on it. So we hope that this has helped you with some of your challenges um, and we'll have another listener episode coming up in the coming weeks as well. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. 
Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.